Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. What is up, church? Who is excited for church today? Come on. Uh, for those of you that are new, my name is Ali, and my beautiful wife and I, we started Santa Set three years ago with a simple dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians can come and learn about God, but a place where you can invite your unchurched friends. And for those of you that have been coming for three years, this is the very first time I've ever sat down and teached. And uh, primarily has to do with the subject that we're talking about today. And uh, we're in a collection of talks titled, You Asked for it. And uh, uh, that's the subject. What about LGBTQ? And uh, this has been the number one question that our community has been asking for the last three years. And for the last three years, I have uh, chosen to avoid answering this question on a public forum like this, because I, I just want to have a relationship with you. I probably get one email a month from people saying, what is your position? And I always say, hey, let's go out to coffee and let's, let's talk about this. I want to hear your story. I, I want you to hear my heart. Uh, and today I just feel led because of so much of COVID, uh, the average person spent two hours before COVID online on social media. Now it's four hours. And so what's happening is, is social media is discipling you and not the scriptures. And I just feel very led uh, that we are a people of faith. And I just want to share you from my heart, from God's heart to you guys this morning. And I want to begin by, by telling you uh, about five years ago, a, a group called Barna, they did this uh, study where they asked people who didn't come to church, what's keeping you from coming? What are the things that are like repelling you? What, why is it that you don't come? And uh, for those who've never heard about Barna, uh, Gallup does the political poll. Barna does it for the church. And they had uh, many answers that people gave. The number one answer was this, that the church is hypocritical and very preachy. And, and there's this nature of the church where it's called to prophetically preach against the culture. We, the, the church preach against slavery. The, the church preaches against abortion. These things that, are, that break the heart of God, that we're going to come against culture regardless of what the culture thinks. There's this prophetic nature. But what the, the, the non-believers are saying is that you don't even live up to your own standards, that you're hypocritical, that you're telling me something, but then you're not living it. And the church needs to be honest that sometimes we are very hypocritical, that we, we, we say one thing, but then we live another. And the number two answer why people don't want to come to church is, is that the church is viewed as anti-homosexual and, and sheltered. And 91% of people, it's a statistic that, that said 91% of people, 91% of people that the church is anti-homosexual. 72% of the people, those same people said the church is sheltered and out of date. And there's this idea that, that, that culture is advanced. We, we have science, we have math, we have technology, and God and religion, that's, that's from old stuff. Like, that's archaic. We, we, we're past that. What do you mean you're not going to have sex with your girlfriend before you get married? You have to test drive the car. What do you mean you're not going to live together? To, to wait before marriage is archaic. And I understand that. And I totally get that. And there's this aspect that sometimes the church, let me just be very honest, is very archaic and sheltered and out of touch. And I remember I got saved in 2004. I was 24 years old. For those of you who went to public school, you can do the math. Um, and I remember when I first came, there was this whole movement, throw away your CDs, and I, I'm wearing a, a Biggie shirt, because that's the music I was listening to, going, going, backpack to Cali Cali, and I listened to Tupac and Biggie and Metallica and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all these, like, secular bands, and I come to church, and, like, everyone's throwing their music CDs away. I'm like, why? Like, this song, it's not good music. I'm like, what are we replacing it with? And they're like, DC talk. I'm like, DC What? And I'm like, guys, do you guys have ears? This is not good music. And there was this whole movement where it felt like, are you so sheltered? You don't get it? And it was this religious spirit of, we can't listen to secular music. It's like, man, you're totally out of touch. And I get that. That often, sometimes the church is sheltered. Sometimes it is out of place. But I want to answer these two questions. Is the church anti-homosexual? And is it sheltered? I want to address these two head on. I'm not going to shy away from it. But there are three warnings I want to give. And the first one is this. By elevating this answer, this question, I, I, it feels like we're isolating this problem and we're saying, oh, this is the icky sin. And we're not saying that at all, actually. We're going to open up the scripture and we'll see there's an evil, even playing field. There's not good and bad. There's not high and low. There aren't levels to this. And you just need to hear that from God's heart. And number two, the second warning is we live in a culture where people cancel you if they don't agree with you. If you don't agree with what I say, if, if you don't agree with my theology or my political position, we're so woke, we'll cancel you. And let me remind you, God did not cancel you when you disagreed with him. 
that he pursued you, that he came after you. And for, for many of us who started this church, most of us, that there was eight of us on a couch who started this church. All of us got saved except for one person in our 20s. God didn't cancel us for the first 20 years. And so I'm asking for respect. I'm going to give you my email address at the very end. If you have questions, would love to grab coffee if you disagree with me, especially in a, in, a, in a Silicon Valley like this. There's a wide range of views and beliefs, and I totally get that. But respectfully listen. The third warning is I'm not some dude in a cave that went and studied and come out, came out and like, oh, thus saith the Lord. I'm a pastor, not a professor. I love people, not just theology. I cried with people. I, I weep for people. I, I pray for people. This just this last Friday, my wife and I, we prayed for someone who calls this church home, and they, they, they're in the hospital, and he thought he was going to die, and he needed prayer. He didn't even know who to call, so he called my wife and I. And I, I, pr- I love people are our priority here. We don't just want to go deep in our theology. We want to go deep in our obedience. So this is not some, I'm not devoid of the, the issues. There are people in this community that call centers at home. And, and they stroll, this is their life. This is not just some topic we're talking about. This is, their every, this is their Monday. So this is real people going through real issues. And I, I just need to let you know, one of my pastor friends, he, he taught on this subject a couple years ago, and he asked the community, would you text in if you have uh, bisexual tendencies or queer relations or if you have same-sex attraction? And of his church, which has a few thousand people in the room, 15% anonymously texted saying that they have same-sex attraction. So this is not some, like, problem that exists out there somewhere, theoretically. This is a problem that exists in this room. And we need to address it as a church. And so I'm going to pray, because I believe God's going to speak through me, and some of you are going to hear the heart of the Father, and you're going to go deeper in Christianity. And some of you, let me, just, let me just tell you, this is a place where you can belong long before you believe. So you can disagree with me. You'll, you'll be loved. We'll know you. We'll love you. I'll sit next to you, and it's okay. But let me pray, and we'll begin. Thank you, God, so much for what you are doing in this faith community. God, you are doing miracles. God, you've changed marriages. God, you've changed addictions. God, you've changed eternities. And God, you're not done changing us. God, more than anyone else in this room, I want to change. I want to look more like you. I want to talk more like you. I want to love more like you. I want to leave this place behaving more like you, Jesus. I don't just want to talk about you, Jesus. I want to live like you. I want people to look at me, Jesus, and not declare, that's a good preacher, but that's a, a man who loves like God. I pray for every person in this room that can hear me, that they would hear the heart of God through this sermon. And if you believe it, everybody said? Everybody said? Amen. So the first question is this. What the church Believes. And the question is, is the church, is God anti-homosexual? And the answer is no. God's not anti-anything. If anything, he's anti-Laker fans, okay? I need to throw in a few jokes. It's a heavy subject. God is not anti-anybody or anything. Listen, let me refresh you with the gospel that before the foundations of the earth, God made creation. He didn't create us like, Lego, like a Lego master where he builds this structure of the city and then leaves it in a room and comes and visits it once in a while. God's not this deist far person. He's a talking God. He's a relational God. He's a father who wants a relationship with you and I. And he wants intimacy. That's why he talks, because he wants to hear from you. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't just want you to pray, who should I marry? Where do I get this job? He wants to do Monday with you. He wants to do Tuesday with you. But the problem is that this good father, you and I, sinned against him. We walked away from him. In the same way, if I go to a branch and I cut off that branch, whether it's three millimeters away or 30 feet away, that branch, although it's physically alive, it is going to die. In the same way, if a toaster oven is in a kitchen and I unplug it, it's physically alive but spiritually dead. You and I are physically alive but spiritually dead with, apart from a relationship with God. And because God is a father and not some deist Lego master, he did anything that he could to restore relationship with, with us. What does a father do? If my children are sick, I would give my life, my blood, so they can live. And that's exactly what God the Father did. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. And the gospel is not that he, we deserved it or we earned it. He gives us grace, what we don't deserve. Is there anybody grateful for the grace of God? But let me explain this because some of you are new to Christianity and you don't understand what grace means. Let me explain the difference between mercy and and grace. Imagine I'm going 100 miles an hour on Highway 5 because I'm going to Disneyland. I, I don't want to sit in traffic. I want to get there as fast as I can. I'm going 100. I get a ticket. 
The, the speed limit is, if I remind you, is 65. I'm probably going to get a fine for like a few thousand dollars. Let's, say, let's just do the math. It's a thousand dollars. I stand before the judge in a courtroom. You know what mercy looks like? The judge cancels the debt. I don't have to pay anything, judge? Nope. Zero. God does more than mercy. He does not just forgive you. He does grace, which goes above and beyond mercy. So what does that look like in a courtroom, Pastor Ali? Imagine I stand in the courtroom. God doesn't just cancel my $1,000 debt. The judge hands me $1,000. Whoa! I broke the law and I'm being blessed. That is the gospel. That God not only forgives you, but he wants to give you life and life abundantly. Anybody grateful for Jesus? That the gospel doesn't make sense. Why do we get loved and blessed? Because our God is an awesome God. He doesn't love you and bless you because you earned it. He loves you and blesses you because of Jesus, what he's done in our place. That's why the gospel is so good. But the question is, is homosexuality a sin? That's the question beneath this question. What does the church believe? Is it God's design? The answer simply is no, it's not. It is a sin. And this is where people get so upset with the church. And you got to understand, we are under the authority of the scriptures. I, I don't lick my fingers and go, what should we teach today? Well, what should we believe? Let me go on Instagram and see what's trending on, on what is woke America talking about? Let me, let me just twist that so I can preach on that this morning. That's not what we do. Um, Christianity is an archaic, old dinosaur theology religion that has been around for thousands of years. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's not a changing God. And that's good news. That, that, that some of you sin against God. You're like, does he still love me? He loved you yesterday. He's going to love you tomorrow. I remember that, that gentleman who called me on Friday when he was in the hospital. He said, is God punishing me for what I did? And I said, in America, there's this thing called double jeopardy, where if you serve crime for a punishment or uh, if you serve jail time for a crime you don't get tried for it twice that's called double jeopardy god does not punish jesus and then punish you stop thinking that the bad things that are happening in your life are because god's judging you that's not the case god's a good dad he's an amazing dad and often what we don't realize is is our authority comes from the scriptures and I want to show you in one of the verses romans chapter 1 what god's heart is on the subject and let me just give you this caveat. There are 800 verses in the Bible about the wrath of God. Anger is a secondary emotion, by the way. You only get angry about the things that you love about. Love is the primary emotion. So God, the, the love of God is talked about 300 times. But really, because anger is a secondary emotion, the love of God is talked about a thousand times in the Bible. Do you know that in the scriptures, in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus, 25% of his teachings about money did you know that? That means if I want to be, be a preacher like Jesus, once a month I talk about money. Half of you would leave and you're like, I'm not coming back. All Pastor Ali talks about is money because I'm being like Jesus. Do you know how many verses are in the Bible that talk about this issue? Six or seven. This is a massive book. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, and there are only six verses in the entire Bible about this issue, which makes me wonder, why does the church scream about something the Bible whispers about? It has a lot more to talk about greed and anger and jealousy and gossip than this subject, but he's very clear on the subject. Let me read you Romans chapter 1. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. What is God talking about? He's talking about idolatry. That idolatry is when you worship the creation versus the creator. So God creates sex, he creates fame, he creates money, he creates sports, he creates the body. And often what we do is instead of looking at those things that point to a good God, instead of worshiping the creator, we worship the creation. And what Paul's trying to point out is when you don't worship God, when you don't follow his design for the world, you are an idolater. And everyone in this room, everyone, whether you're tall or short, whether you're fat or skinny, whether you're male or female, all of us are idolaters. It's not some people, all of us, Warrior fans and Laker fans, okay? All of us are idolaters. And then he continues and he says, for their women exchanged natural relations for those who, that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up the natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in them the due penalty for their error. And what Paul is trying to say is that when you have an option, you have option A is to follow God and his design, or option B is to live your life your way. One way is going to bring you life. One way is going to bring you death. One way is following God. One way is idolatry. And God, because he's a good God, gives you the choice. He doesn't force 
obedience. He doesn't force you to love him. He doesn't force you to come to church. He doesn't force you to, to listen to him. You get to choose. But there is a, a righteous way and an unrighteous way. And then they come to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 and says, what is marriage, Jesus? And Jesus says, you got to go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2. God made them male and female. And he, in the garden, he first married them and then they had sex. That's the context. And most people in our culture, we don't believe that. The vast majority of people live with their girlfriend before they get married. The vast majority of people have sex before marriage. So even though the, the scriptures teach this, I'm not, I'm not even talking about the non-believers. I'm talking about the people in the church, people. I'm not even talk, we're not talking about anyone outside this room. I'm talking about the people in this room. We hear that, but we don't live that. And we know what we do. We watched the Friends reunion two months ago. Amen. We, we invite all of our friends over, and every, every episode, Joy would sleep with someone and come home and talk to Chandler, right? And every other episode, Phoebe would sleep with some dude and come home. They'd all go to Java Coffee House, and we'd laugh and we'd cry. And every day, they're committing idolatry, and we're laughing and entertained by it. Maybe if you didn't watch Friends, you, you watch that one uh, hospital show where the girl sleeps with McDreamy or McSteamy, whatever. I don't even know the name of the show. And uh, maybe it was those four girls in New York, and they sleep with Mr. Big all the time. I, I don't even know, but we're entertained by idolatry. That's how far we are removed from this in the culture. And the question that we often don't ask is what is the purpose of sex? You got to go back to Genesis chapter 1. And God is creating the universe. And there's these binary realities. There's night and light, dark and light, sky and ground, water and dirt. And it climaxes with this binary of male and female. He says when a man and woman come together, that's the context. That's the design of God. That's the only legitimate reason or place that you can have sex. And we hear this and we, we disagree with this and we go, there's, there's another way. And, and Paul, even though he says these things, he doesn't stop. And this is where the church often stops. We think Romans chapter 1 ends with verse 27. Like, see, those people are doing something wrong. And it's like, whoa, 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 I'm about to implicate everyone in the room. All the religious people are about to quench their butt cheeks in the name of Jesus in about two minutes. Watch this. This is where it gets real in a second. Verse 28. And since they did not See fit to acknowledge God. God gave them to the debased mind to do what they ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Let me just pause. That is a massive list. That list includes everyone in this room. Anyone ever disobedient to their parents? Willing to raise your hand. Two people who aren't liars, they're disobedient. The people who don't, they're double disobedient. They're liars and they're disobedient to their parents. Right? This list includes everyone. And often what we do is we want to point the finger and say, that's sin, but so are you. That's the problem. Listen, this list includes so many things. All the married men in this room know the struggle I'm about to explain. You go to the drive through line at Chick-fil-A. And you're driving, honey, are you hungry? No, I'm not hungry. So you, you order your chicken sandwich and your french fries, and you're not even home yet. And the aroma of the Spirit of God fills the car. And your wife realizes, no, 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 I lied. I am actually hungry. Can I have some french fries? And then she starts stealing half of your french fries, and you're not even home. That's not even the worst part. Wait, wait, wait. You go back in a week, and your wife goes, I'm hungry. And you, because you, you had Taco Bell, you don't want to know, I'm not hungry right now, right? And so she orders French fries. But because you have humility, honey, I lied. I was actually hungry. Can I please have one French fry? And your wife, who is filled with the Spirit of God, looks at the French fry and goes, my precious. <laughs> so last week she was a liar and a thief. This week she's greedy like Gollum. She's on the list. It's not that... You and I aren't righteous, and those people aren't, and we are. Everyone in this room falls short of the glory of God. Even your wife who steals your French fries and then doesn't share hers. What about gossip? Let's just show a woman's prayer meeting where, oh my gosh, did you hear what Tom and Sally did? You talk about it for 30 minutes, and then you pray for 30 seconds. Can we be real? These things break the heart of God. And so often we want to point the finger. These are things that are in my life. These are the things that are in Pastor Yasmin's life, in my staff's life, in this church life. These are not things that happen out there. These are things that happen in here. And what people outside the church will do, well, Ali, I disagree. 
I want to do these things because it feels natural. And I want to say very clearly, I understand that argument. It feels natural. It feels good, so you want to do it. Let me tell you, there are things that feel natural to me. When I talk to, to people in the LGBT community, they say, Pastor Ali, I have bisexual sexual attractions. I have queer attraction. I have uh, non-binary attraction. All these words I'm learning this last month and a half. I go, I have sexual attractions too. They go, what is it, Pastor Ali? I have opposite sex attraction. Even though I'm married to my wife, I still find other women attractive. And I have to choose to keep my eyes pure. I have to choose not to commit adultery. I have to choose to deny my flesh and follow Christ and pick up the cross. I don't choose based on my feelings. Even though it feels natural, even though I want it. So even though we're different, our struggle is the same. I could be having dinner with my wife, looking at her eyes, like, man, baby, you're awesome. And, I can see, uh, and I'll know when a woman walks in the room, and every man in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. I was having lunch three weeks ago at Santana Row, and I was having lunch with this gentleman. He goes, man, are all the girls at Santana Row allergic to clothes? I'm like, yes. I just look down when I walk here. I don't even look up. Because it's, it's hard. And this is why single men, like, oh, I, it's okay if I look at porn, because once I get married, this problem, this attraction is going to go away. I'm going to be a totally attracted to her. No, bro. Same sex, opposite sex attraction never goes away, even when you're married. You have to learn to deny your flesh now. And people say, well, this is archaic, Allie. This is old school. People have advanced. We have educations. This is like this old archaic theology. And there's a, a book that came out literally four months ago by a guy named Tom Holland. And he wrote a book called Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. And before you think, oh, this is some Christian, this dude's an atheist. This guy doesn't even like Christians. And he wanted to write a book, Why Did Christianity Change the World? And look what he says. While studying the ancient world, Holland writes, he realized something. Simply, the ancients were cruel and their values utterly foreign to him. The Spartans routinely murdered imperfect children. The bodies of slaves were treated like outlets for the physical pleasure of those with power. Infanticide was common. The poor and weak had no rights. Women were never elevated more than property. How did we get from there to here? Holland writes, Christianity revolutionized sex and marriage, demanding that men control themselves and prohibit all forms of rape. Christianity confines sexuality within monogamy. It is ironic, Holland writes, that these things are the very standards for which this Christianity is decried. So what he's saying, if you don't understand what public school, let me explain what he's saying. Saying that the, the, the woke culture is like, oh my gosh, Christianity is this old, stupid religion. Tom Holland, this atheist, saying the things that make America great are the points and the values of Christianity. The, the, re, the reason we have this amazing culture, this amazing country, is Christianity. If you throw out Christianity, we go back to that. And he's like, that's foreign to me. That's foreign to me. Second question. And I really want you to hear my heart in this next one. Is how does the church act? And unfortunately, it's this is the part that has caused the most pain, the most suffering to those in the LGBT community. It's not our theology. It's our behavior. It's our behavior. And this is why I'm sitting down. Because I can, you know, normally I'm pacing like a, like a caged animal going back and forth, hooting and hollering. I, I want you to hear my heart. I want you to hear the Father's heart today. That it's, it's not our doctrine that pushes people away. It's our love. And people are repelled when we withhold it. And that verse I just read in Romans chapter 1 is not the only verse that God says about homosexual people. It's not the final word. God has so much he wants to say to you, so, much, so many things he wants to give you, so many prophetic words and encouragement. He wants to give you an identity in him. And often what happens in our culture is that your sexuality is the centrality of who you are. We define our identity. We define our personhood by our sexuality. And Jesus wants to teach us a lesson that you are not less than your sexuality, but you are far greater than your sexuality. And there's a story in, in John chapter 8 where God wants to prophetically critique the church in America. And he corrects the, 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 the Pharisees, but I believe this is a prophetic word to the church in America to listen very carefully. It's John chapter 8, if you have your Bible, if you don't, it's on the screen, starting at verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him. So imagine, he's at church teaching. He sat down and taught them. The scribes, the Pharisees brought, this is like nine in the morning. 
brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Imagine, I'm teaching, and four dudes bring a half-naked girl, and they drop her right here. What would you do? If you pull out your phone and go on Instagram Live, I'm going to kill you, right? They placed her in the midst, and they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery, which means you're a peeping Tom, bro, because you're spying on her. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Many theologians have been discussing for centuries, what did Jesus write? In the book of Jeremiah, it says that, that God will write our sins in the dust when the Messiah comes. Maybe he's writing the sins of the people here. Maybe he's playing tic-tac-toe. We don't know. Maybe he's drawing a giraffe. I don't even know. No one knows, but he's writing something in the ground. And then it continues, let him who is without sin among you, be the first to throw a stone at her. And that is such a prophetic word. He's saying, you are being so self-righteous. You're being so judgmental. You're, you're not even loving this. Notice this woman doesn't even have a name because they don't even ask what her name is. They just drag her and they want to label her. They want to give her no value, no worth. She's just a piece of property to them. This is not a person to be loved, but a person to be judged and killed. And Jesus says, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to do what the culture wants me to do. I'm not going to label her. I'm not going to withhold love from her. I'm not going to hold back and look at her the way that you look at her. See, what Jesus is doing in this moment is demythologizing sex. He's mythologizing sex is when you make sex the supreme of who you are. That your life is complete. Like, like, remember when Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire, when he comes to the kitchen with Renee Zellweger and he goes, you complete me. And she goes, oh my God, you had me at hello. And all of us, like, all the girls like, oh, I want a man like that. Or maybe the notebook, right? We're waiting for someone to build a house because we think, because every Disney movie, every Disney movie ends the same way. They ride into the sunset happily ever after because what we are teaching our culture is you are complete when you get married and go have sex. And Jesus says, no, that ain't the case, homie. Sex is not complete. We wouldn't do this in the church. And someone's 30 and they're single, like everyone in the church is like, hey, when are you getting married? Or they're married for a few years and they don't have kids. We're like, whoa, 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 when are you having kids? As if to imply your life is not complete until you get married. Your life is not complete until you have kids. And Jesus does not play that game. He demythologizes sex and says sex is not the highest power. It's not the, the greatest fulfillment in life. It's not the thing that's going to bring the greatest joy, the greatest fulfillment. Sex does not complete you. Your spouse does not complete you. I complete you. That's what he wants to say. That you want to find joy and happiness? Have a relationship with me. And he, does, he refuses. He refuses to acknowledge and label this woman the way that the Pharisees are. Look what he says. He continues. Once more he bent down and rolled on the ground. But, they, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman. You should underline that word right there. That is a prophetic word. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. And what Jesus is doing, and this is so, so profound. He's giving this woman honor and value, not based on what she does, but based on who she is. See, the Pharisees want to judge this woman. The Pharisees want to label this woman. The Pharisees want to remove love, remove value, remove worth because she's an adulterer. And Jesus says, I'm not going to play that game. You are not what you do. You are who God says that you are. Your value doesn't come from your performance. Your value comes from your position. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't say you're the adulterer? Aren't you glad Jesus said you're the one that had the abortion? Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't say you're the one who watches porn, the one who sleeps around, the one who's a Lakers fan? He just la God doesn't label us with these things. He looked at this woman who, is she sinful? Yes, yeah, she's having sex outside of marriage. But Jesus says, woman, as if to imply, you're, you have value and worth that goes beyond your performance. And the Pharisees, they're supposed to love her, and they don't. And Jesus, I'm not going to play that game. You're valuable. You're priceless. You're worth dying for. Woman, you are a child of God. And you are not your sin. My question is for you, do you go to 
hell for being gay? And the theological answer is no. I'm going to let that sit for a second. That makes many of you uncomfortable. And the reason why is you don't go to heaven for being straight. You don't go to heaven or hell based on what you do. You go to heaven or hell based on what you do with Jesus. Job chapter 9 says, who can be righteous and stand before God? Righteousness means right standing before God. Where does it come from? Do I have to do something to be in right standing with God? Or does God have to do the work for me right standing with him? That's the essence of Jesus. He didn't come to give us a book. He didn't come to give us a religion. He came to die in our place. Because he knew we could never bridge the gap to him. So he came and became the bridge to God. He lived the sinless life. He is our righteousness. He dies for our sin and then gives us his righteousness. So when I stand before God, he does not see Ali. He sees Jesus. Perfect. Righteous. When he looks at you, he doesn't see your mistakes. He doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus. And the only reason I'm going to heaven is not because I'm a good man. It's because Jesus died in my place has nothing to do with whether I'm straight or gay. And that makes some of you uncomfortable. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach. You Pharisees, you're judging this person because you think you're in because of your behavior. You're not, you're in because of me. You're in because of what I'm doing. And this is so hard for us to understand in this super sexualized culture we live in. Every magazine, every movie, every book, everything is selling sex. Even go to Home Depot. I'm telling you, I, I haven't been, but I promise you, open up one of the magazines, I'm going to buy a bandsaw, and there's a half thing to go, you should buy this one, oh my goodness. <laughs> Everything in our culture uses sex to, to sell something. Sex to sell cars, sex to sell shoes, sex to sell, it's art, we have a, every TV show, think of Friends, think of all the movies. Everything, and we live in a culture where it's so common now that we think the essence of a person is their sexuality. We think the the most fulfilling thing in life is to be married, is to have kids. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not. I mean, I have two kids, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And every time we go to the mall, we walk by uh, Zara, because I I usually want to go to Zara. And across from Zara, if you know what I'm talking about, is Victoria's Secret. I got to cover my eyes and I got to cover their eyes. So I just want to move to Alaska sometimes. I want my kids to churn butter, wear denim from head to toe, be away from this culture. Because it's so sexualized, right? We think you complete me, but it doesn't. And Jesus doesn't relate to this woman based on her sexuality. He relates to her based on her identity in God. Woman. But he doesn't stop there. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Which implies Jesus doesn't just sweep her stuff under the rug. He says, oh, you, you want to do that? It feels natural. Go do what you want. That does, he doesn't do that. He loves her. He acknowledges her. He, has a, he looks her in the eyes as a woman. I wonder if the Pharisees even look this woman in the eye. He acknowledges her, gives her value and worth, and then, and the order matters. He loves her and then says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And that tension often is where the church fails. We say go and sin no more, but we don't love. Did you know the LGBT community was formed because they weren't loved? Because they were so isolated and alone, they had no one that would stand next to them. And often this is the failure of the church. We're supposed to excel in love, not excel in the theology. The Bible's John, Jesus says, I want you to be known by the way you love one another. There's no condition whether you're sinful or not sinful, just by the way you love one another. And so often the way that we behave so often is what causes pain. Causes drama. I remember there was a pastor friend of mine, and he, uh, he had this two couples in his church. And the husband and wife on one family would always hang out with this other family. They were together all the time. And then one time, the husband comes home, and the, the wife says, I want a divorce. And the husband says, well, what's his name? Like, like I, I've been, she's like, I've been cheating on you. There's someone else. And the husband goes, well, what's his name? And the wife goes, no, no, it's not a him. It's a her. It's the wife of the other family. And the husband's devastated. He goes, I, I want to fix this. I want to go to marriage counseling. So go to marriage counseling, and that's a true story. They go to marriage counseling, and the counselor's like, you should leave your husband. This is why you need to go to Christian counseling. Don't just go to counselors. Go to Christian counseling. The counselor says, just leave your husband because you found out who you really are. You got you to gotta follow your desires. That's, that's the true essence of who you are. And Jesus would say, no, you are not 
less than your sexual desires, but you are more than your sexual desires. Does this woman in this story, is this her first time making this mistake? Probably not. That's why the Pharisees knew she was in the act, because something she probably did all the time. But she is not, that is not her identity. What you do is not who you are. Your sexuality does not define you, which is why the theologian named Sam Albury, is that his name, Sam? Sam Albury wrote a book, God of the anti, uh, God is God anti-gay, and this is a, there are three books I want to three authors I want to recommend to you. One is in the LGBT community and is a Christian. One was in the LGBT community and she came out of it and she's a Christian. And the third one is a professor. He's never been in the community. All three are great theologians. One is Sam Albury. The second is Jackie Hill Perry, and the third is Preston Sprinkle. Sam Albury wrote a book called Is God Anti-Gay? Jackie Hill Perry wrote a book called Good Gay Girl, Good God. And then Preston Sprinkle, if you're interested. Again, I'm going to put my email at the very end. You can ask me these questions offline. He wrote a book called People to be Loved and Embodied. And Sam Albury says this. When someone says that they're, they're, they're gay, they normally mean that as well as being attracted to people of the same gender, their sexual preference is one of the fundamental ways in which they see themselves. And it's for this reason that I tend to avoid using the term because I'm far more than my sexuality. And that's the heart that Jesus is trying to give, that you are not defined by straight or gay or queer. And so often we use these terms as if they are our identity. And Jesus is saying, no, your identity is child of God. Your identity is loved. Your identity is who God says that you are in position in him, not performance to him. And often when we don't treat people the way that Jesus does this woman, it causes the most pain. And it brings us to the final point. Not just what the church believes, not just how the church acts, but point number three, the church needs to say sorry. The church needs to say sorry. And this is where I want to take some time and just apologize for a lot of the, the things that the church does that are so unbiblical. And the first one is this, sorry that we have bad theology around this issue. The, and Katrina happened uh, about 15 years ago, and they, they polled a bunch of Christians. They said, why do you think Katrina happened? The vast majority of people said that God was judging America based on homosexuality. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why is he not judging America based on your wife who doesn't share her french fries? Or, or the gossip that we see in churches? Or the lack of love in the Christian community? Why is it that? Because what we do is we elevate this sin above others. We think it's the icky sin, and it's not. And so often we, we have bad theology. And then they, they did this poll where they asked people in the church based on two major theological things. The first is, are you in agreement with Jesus' teaching on divorce and remarriage? The only time you can get married and then divorce is if your spouse is unfaithful. And 40% of people, even though the scriptures are clear, said, yes, I believe that. And then they asked the same question to those about the people in the LGBT community. They, what do you believe on God's teachings. And 90% of the people, Christians, believe what the scripture said. And then they asked them, well, why do you, are you so low in this area on marriage and divorce? And why are you so high on LGBT? You know what the number one answer was? I don't, I know people who are married and divorced. I don't know anyone in the LGBT community. And that's why LGBT people are so upset. That's why they're so hurt. Because you, you and I don't know their stories. You and I don't sit next to them in the cafeteria. We don't pull up next to them at work. We don't hear their stories. We don't hear their pain. I remember I sat down with someone in this community who is in the LGBT community, and I'm quoting him when he said this. The only thing keeping me from God are other Christians. We have really bad theology sometimes. Second apology, that we've we've wrongly emphasized this over other things. It's crazy. There's a whole list of things in Romans chapter 1. Greed, malice, anger, jealousy. Yet we say the reason Katrina happened is because of that. Isn't that weird? That we're elevating this one thing and God doesn't. It's sad that when we read the scriptures, we don't view it 
through biblical ones. Let me give you a story in John chapter 8 that I just read. There's three characters. There's the Pharisee, there's the woman, and there's Jesus. There's only one hero in the story. It's Jesus. So which one are you? Are you the Pharisee or are you the woman? Because there's only one Jesus. You're either judging or you're the woman. And often what we do when we read the scriptures, we think we're the hero. We think those people out there, they're bad, and God's saying, no, no, no. The heart is deceptible of all, above all things. Maybe we need to grow in our love because we've overemphasized this. Number three, I'm sorry for not acknowledging the complexity of this issue. Maybe you've heard this. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And there's no love. There's no empathy. There's no, let me hear your story. We just throw some verses and we're done. And Jesus never told us to, to, to be Bible-thumping people on the street corners. He told us to be people that would be a community centered around him that would be known for their love. Which means, even when people disagree with us, can we sit next to them? That phrase, you belong before you believe, means that there are people in this community that do not believe what Pastor Yaz and I and and the church believes, but they feel welcome here. They feel loved here. Can you sit in the tension of that? Number four, I'm sorry we have not loved people well. John chapter 1, 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and He was full of grace and full of truth. One of my favorite drinks that I do right now all the time is I I get a glass, tall glass, I fill up 50% pineapple juice, 50% LaCroix. 100% amazing. It's awesome. And if you're a little sassy, you can put a little splash of orange juice, give it some sweetness. And we think that God fills His cup up with 50% grace and then fills the second half of the cup with truth. That's not what the scriptures say. God fills the cup from the bottom to the top with truth. And from the bottom to the top, with it's 100% of both. Pastor that doesn't make sense. That's the point. That's the point. He does both perfectly. And you and I need to learn to live in that tension because when LGBT community come to our church, and there have been some. I remember when we were at the hotel about a year and a half ago, there was this one dude, six-inch high heels, skinny jeans as tight as mine, only his had sparkles on them. He wore it way better than I did. I remember there was a dream team where I said, Pastor Ali, what are you going to do? He's here. I'm like, go say hi to him. When he comes, don't make him feel like this is a job interview, that he has to earn our love. This is a hospital for hurting people. There's a difference. He doesn't need to earn our love. And that's what the church does sometimes. That's what the Pharisees did with this woman. They were refusing to love her because she sinned differently than them. Everyone who walks through the doors is worth dying for because Jesus died for them. That means if Jesus loves you, I love you. Regard, end of question. That's it. My love will not be conditional in this church. And I'm okay with people labeling me a heretic. You shouldn't love those people. Man, if you only knew who I was and why God, I am shocked that God loves me. Forget those people. I'm the most sinful person in this room. That's the values of this church that no one deserves it, but God still gives it to us. I'm sorry we have not loved well. Number two, I'm sorry that the church has not been a place of grace. You know, if some of you came to my house, let's say we're having dinner and my kids are, they usually play Legos in front of the TV because we don't mind if they mess up the room and because I have to clean it anyways, anyways, you know. You would never cuss in front of my kids. Even though you, I know all you do. I see you the way you drive and you tell people they're number one in your car. I've seen it. It's okay. But you would never cuss in front of me, in front of my kids because you wouldn't want my kids to be, dis- you wouldn't want to dishonor me because you would never do that in front of my kids. Isn't it interesting that we'll use words like you're gay and that's so, that, that guy's a fag. We use these words that dishonor God's kids. Can we change our language? 
can we repent that the words that we use are so unloving and they cause pain? If you're one of those people that uses those words, can I just ask you to humbly apologize to God and just turn from that language and use something different? It does not honor God. Last one, or two more. I'm sorry that the church and culture has often been found two ways of dealing with this, politics and preaching, right? Politicians come, they kiss babies, and they shake hands and say, we changed the rule, good luck, and they don't ever stay to talk to you, and they leave, they think they solve the problem, and then Christians, we do the opposite. We don't make rules, we preach a sermon, we're like, we're done, and neither of those two solve the problem. The last one, I'm sorry, we have not been like Jesus around this issue. What's crazy is that there are people in this community that tell, told me that they have a sibling or an uncle that is in the LGBT community, and that person is not invited to Christmases, birthdays, Thanksgivings, because the Christians don't know how to act around that person. So they exclude that person. Instead of living in the tension of grace and truth, we just say, no, 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 we don't, we don't have to do. And they remove that person from community and life, and it's heartbreaking. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor who was killed during Nazi invasion of, 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 of Europe, he wrote this days before he died. We must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or don't do more in light of what they suffer. Can I ask you a question? Do you know how much the gay community has suffered in the hands of the church? We've caused most of the pain. Not Jesus. Please, if you're going to judge the church, don't do it based on what people do. Do it based on who Jesus is. And what I'm so encouraged by, even though we've caused a lot of pain, I'm going to read you quote from someone in our community. They said, this is a, I'm hearing from people that attest that even though they're in the same sex attraction, they say CS is the first place I feel comfortable enough to talk about this, to talk about it with my community group, to talk about it with my leaders, to talk about it among this. This is that place. This is the first place. That gives me hope that we're pushing the boundaries of grace and truth. That we're trying to look like Jesus. Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. I want us to be accused of being friends of LGBT. That'd be the greatest badge of honor that this church can have. Not our worship, not our preaching, but that we love people that, that look different than God. That they'd be welcome here. That's my heart. That's why I'm teaching it. Because I want to raise, not the standard of our preaching and our worship, but the standard of our love. You're a son and daughter of God. But go and sin no more. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to pray for you. God, thank you so much that this is a heavy subject. But you're a good God. That we're in this room, God, because not because we're good, because we're righteous. We're included on the list of things that break your heart we're included on the list of things that are our idolatry. And the playing field is level. It's not one above the other. All are guilty. Yet all have the opportunity to receive forgiveness. All have the opportunity, regardless of sexual orientation, to receive the grace of Jesus. God, I'm grateful that even though I don't deserve your grace, you give it to me freely. And I believe that there are people in this room that have been in hiding, that have been hurting in isolation, and they're looking for a community that will love them regardless, like that woman, of what she does, but rather who or he she is. I pray, God, that you would raise the standard of love in this church. We're not changing the scriptures, but we're going to change the way that we love because we haven't done it well every eye closed and every head bowed I just have to ask for some of you today is the day of salvation today is the day you're going to start a relationship with this living God this God who wants to not just give you mercy 
but wants to give you grace, who goes above and beyond. Mercy forgives the debt. Grace goes beyond and not just forgives it, but blesses you when you don't deserve it. And this good God left heaven to die for you. Not when you were his friend, not when you were in church, but when you were his enemy. And he loves you. He loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And if that's you this morning or online watching and you want to start a relationship with this living God, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just be willing to raise your hand? Would you just pray this prayer with me in your heart? Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived a sinless and perfect life, that you lived the life I should have lived, and then you died the death I was supposed to die. And you gave me a gift called salvation, and it's free. I want to receive it today. And the way I receive this gift is by faith. I place my faith in you, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you are not dead, but that you're alive. And that you want to have a relationship with me. God, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you begin speaking to me? Begin guiding me and leading me so I can follow you all the days of my life. If that was you in this room or those online. Would you just be willing to fill out that connect card on your chair and check that box? I decided to follow Jesus today. For those of you online, text CS Jesus to 97,000. We would love to help you on this spiritual journey. Let me just pray for you because it's time to sing because our God is good. If you guys can stand. Pray for us. God, thank you so much that your spirit is here. That you're not just a good God, you're a good, good father. You're an amazing dad. That you love us even though we don't deserve it. That you bless us even though we didn't earn it. And God, you're here speaking to us, convicting us, showing us there's another way, a better way to love, a, a tension of grace and truth. It's not one or the other. It's both at the same time. God, we want to leave this place looking more like you, talking more like you. And everybody said... Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.